I used to be a cheerleader. I don't know if you knew that. No, I did not know that. Tell me more. I well, I did Pop Warner for many years, and then I was a competitive cheerleader for a little while. Hmm. So, like, strictly, so, like, no football or anything like that, but strictly you just went to competitions. That That's that. what Katie did. Really? Yeah. Yep. Competitive cheerleading. <laughs> Julia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What team was Julia on? Julia, what team were you on? Was it a school team or was, was it a school team, team or a competitive team? Or it was like an all star team. team? Sorry. It was an all star team, but I can't remember. I can't remember the name. Team? I don't remember. But yeah, Katie used to do that. That's fun. For many years. Hmm. And it's like a nerd for it. <laughs> I rode horses too. We all have our things, you know. <clears throat> you rode horses? Yeah, I would um show them competitively as well. That's wild. Yeah, that was really fun. Did you wear the outfits and everything? The whole getup, yep. So I had like the boots with the pants and the black like blazer jacket, fancy helmet. That's pretty sick. Yeah, it was fun. Dang. Welcome to the EduPunks podcast. This is your host, Craig Vitamin, bringing you another conversation with an everyday educator and daily disruptor in the world of education and, you know, the world in general. Today I'm talking with my good friend and one of my favorite human beings, Julia Vosliff. Julia and I go way back to graduate school where she was in the cohort right after me in uh, at UMass Amherst. We both studied higher education and administration there. We talk about that a little bit in the conversation so you get to hear a little bit about how we were indoctrinated in Amherst together. Uh, Julia and I also work together at UMass Boston, so we get to see each other fairly often when we're on campus. Right now we're not, so we actually haven't been able to hang out in a few months, which has been a big bummer because I love to just drop in on her office and say hey and waste some time during the workday to uh, just, you know, shoot the shit and whatever. But that's 
that's that's for the rest of this conversation. You get to learn a lot about Julia. You get to learn about a lot about service learning and service trips, as well as the fact that she's running the Boston Marathon tomorrow. Uh, this is a Friday, September 11th. She's going to be running it on the 12th. You'll get to hear all about her experience uh, leading up to the to the marathon, and even how she rehabbed from an injury so that she could do so. Very powerful, wonderful conversation that we end up having. Also, you get to hear tunes from the new Stand Atlantic album, which is called Pink Elephant. It recently came out on Hopeless Records, uh, one of my favorite albums of the year so far. Really glad to get to review it and talk about it throughout this episode. You'll get to hear another song later in the episode during the music break, and I'm playing a little bit throughout the episode um, as well. So make sure you go to hopelessrecords.com to learn more about how you can Get yourself a physical copy of the record as well as some shirts or some CDs or whatever uh, you would like. Uh, beyond that, I also have to mention that we are part of the Connect EDU network. So go to connectedu.network and learn more about all the educational and higher education podcasts and uh, educational content that we have available for you there. Uh, I know that Dustin. Uh, Ramsdale, who runs his Higher Ed Geek podcast, is coming up on 100 episodes. I'm really stoked for him and can't wait to see what comes even after that. Uh, We are coming up on that soon. Hopefully we'll do it before the end of the year. Maybe not. It might end up going into next year, but whatever. We'll figure out what we're going to do for 100. This is episode 86, so there's a few more left. Um, But yeah, let's get to this conversation with Julia Vosliff. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hey, Julia, how are you? Hey, Craig. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's really muggy today, right? It is. It is. My hair is not having it today. <laughs> and we're supposed to be getting like thunderstorms at some point, but it's not coming down. I thought I thought all day, actually. Yeah, that's what my weather app told me. Yeah. Yep. Goodoldweather.com. Yep. Good old weather app. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, so for those tuning in, Julia and I work together at UMass sure Boston. Do. We've been connected for a few years now, right? So um, been- yeah, so I started at UMass Amherst that grad program in 2014. Yeah, and I was there 2013 to 2015. So Julia and I have been uh, associated for almost six years now. That's pretty wild. That's, yeah. Think about, holy shit. <laughs> seriously like i think about like the fact that i've been out here for seven years now like in massachusetts and like yeah. that time has just flown by yeah it's yeah. really weird and especially like being able to tell people i've been at umass boston for almost five years is nuts because i haven't really done anything other than like i've almost been at umass boston longer than i was at oregon state and <laughs> that's wow. so much of my identity <laughs> I know, right? Now you're going to have to like transfer. You're like, go Beacons. No. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is also kind of funny because I've been wearing this straight from the path hat, like this hardcore band. And they also, their logo is a lighthouse. Look at that. <laughs> the transformation is so I'm just like, I'm wearing a hardcore Beacons hat. Yes, yeah. I love it. Well, it's funny. So I don't know if you remember Brian Arnold. Mm-hmm. 
um, he was my supervisor. Um, and when I started there, I think he had just finished or was starting his fifth year at UMass Amherst working there. Um, and he just left. Um, so 11 years, but it's mm. like really hard to believe that like, yeah, met all those people six years ago for me. Um, mm-hmm. and yes. Yeah, and like Michael Wiseman, mm-hmm. he retired. So did David Valancourt. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. He just, he just retired too. Oh, I, yeah. I really forgot about him, but okay. He was like one of the first people that interviewed me when I was going there for grad school interviews. Oh. And he was just like, Craig, almost no one here has the amount of school spirit for your undergrad as you do. And I'm like, okay, I get that. <laughs> and having gone to grad, having gone to grad school there, I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I think though, I would argue that Zach Broughton, remember him? He yeah. had a lot of UMass Amherst pride, which I love. But. Yeah. Because he was a grad and, or undergrad and grad, right? Yep. Yeah, he yep. was one of those. He was. He sure was. He was a twofer. Where did you do your undergrad? Quinnipiac University in Hamden, Connecticut. It's in Connecticut? I guess I didn't know that it was in Connecticut. Yeah, it's near Yale. They were our big oh. rivals. Um, of course of course naturally um we occupied opposite ends of the same street so we were like you know 15 minutes away so it was like the battle of Whitney Ave like we had like a hockey game you know and it was funny that they were our huge they were our big sports rivals Hmm. um yeah but really like small town kind of middle of nowhere not a lot happening in Hampton Connecticut but Hmm. It was fun. What'd you go to school for? I went to school for history for a long time. I wanted to be a high school history teacher. Um, and I minored in psychology. Um, I quickly realized though, that I did not have the patience for high schoolers. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out if I have the patience for college students. (laughs) Um, I don't know. (laughs) So, but yeah, we have, we have a lot of teachers in my family on uh, my mom and my dad's side. Um, Hmm. And I had a really great eighth grade social studies teacher. And, um, you know, after taking his class, I became like obsessed with the civil war. So I was like, okay, this this is what I want to do. And I still really enjoy history and learning about it and, you know, studying about it. It's really fascinating to me. Um, especially like being able to recognize that like you're, we're currently living in what is going to be an incredibly like historical moment where people are going to be like, do you remember this specific time in history? It's like, yeah, I lived it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's weird I love to think that about, about that. It. Right. Right. And so it's kind of fun, like to think about it in that way, but yeah. Our I'm- entire generation is like lived through something. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a like this whole generation of kids coming up right now like did not live through nine eleven, <laughs> which like, to me is wild to think. Yeah, yep. I remember it so vividly. Yeah, mm-hmm. so crazy. Being on the west coast, like we woke up to it. Like we woke up like late to it. Like I had no idea mm-hmm. what happened. So like yeah. it was really wild to me. But yeah, we are definitely living a piece of history right now, and like. Yep. I also went to college to be a teacher and quickly learned that I was not, I even, I even taught for two years and like it, it helped me develop a drinking problem. That's for sure. 
that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. Um, and the early morning wake up call, I also realized was not <clears throat> me. Hmm. I don't know how I did it because like I was, I, the main struggle I had was I did not have a reliable, reliable vehicle for the entire time. So like I went through three different cars during that time, two exploded and like literally like I was driving down the highway on one of them and the engine just exploded and I was like six, I'm pulling over. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I just had some really tough goes with uh vehicles during that time but uh, i don't know that that was like a good sign that this wasn't for me and then i moved out here so the rest is history and here you are Uh hooray yeah um but then you went to grad school for higher ed what why did you do that um so once i realized that i did not want to teach anymore, or at least not high school. Um, I stuck it out with history as my major because I still really enjoyed the topic, but I was an orientation leader in college. Hmm. Um, I did Habitat for Humanity. Um, I did like the programming board stuff. So I was one of those students who was like super involved. Um, I was like, in college, I had this personality where like I was I was an orange, okay? Like, Mm -hmm. the color with personality. I was fully orange, and I was so outgoing and so spontaneous and, like, so in your face. So, obviously, like, I think being an orientation leader, being really involved was a really good fit for me. And I had a mentor who was also my boss um, for the orientation team. And I just said, like, Aaron, how how can I do what you do? Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I had no idea. And I think this is really common for people who work in higher ed. I had no idea that you, that this was a career option. <laughs> right? Like you hear that all the time. I have that um, conversation with so many people on this podcast. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Seriously. And no I, one markets the field very well. <laughs> I, that's a really good point, actually. Maybe that's what we should get into. Maybe we should do like some consulting where we just promote higher ed as a career for people saying no, like, but what are you going to, you know, I mean, whatever. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, I just thought, Oh, I could be an orientation leader forever. This sounds great. Obviously mm-hmm. that's not, you know, <laughs> very realistic, but mm. I do think that my interests and sort of my personality sort of was well suited for a career where, you're bouncing around, you're doing a lot, you're taking on a lot of different roles, um, you're interacting with a lot of different people, you're learning a lot of new skills and putting them to the test. So yeah, um, my first year out of college, I applied to like two or three grad programs, didn't get into any of them, including UMass Amherst. So I could have been in your cohort, but- um, Oh, hey. But I feel very grateful for the fact that I did not get in because I was not ready. I was definitely not ready. And I, and I needed that year off. So I took a year off and I worked. And then the next year I applied to 13 grad programs. Cause I was like, I'll be damned if I don't get it. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, I applied to four. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was really nervous. I was like, I don't know. What if I don't get it again? I get it. Um, and for undergrad, I only applied to two colleges, which was also probably pretty stupid, but I got into my first choice right away. So that worked out. But um, so anyways, almost went out to 
um, California for grad school, um, but didn't end up going out there and just thought that UMass Amherst was a better fit for me. And, you know, the, the, the price was right. And by price, I meant, you know, didn't have to pay anything, which was like, yeah, right. That was the number one piece of advice that I got from my mentor in college was like, you, if you're going into higher ed, you don't need to pay for grad school. Mm -hmm. And that was so incredibly helpful to hear. Um, oh, these damn calendar reminders. Love being <laughs> virtual. Um, so anyways, it's kind of funny because my master's uh, integrative paper, right, thesis, whatever you want to call it, was actually about how problematic service learning programs can be. Um, and now I oversee one. Um, so, you know, there was a, there was a little bit of soul searching that had to happen, but I, think I remember you doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I did like after grad school, um, my first couple of jobs were in like strictly like student government and student activities, um, mm -hmm. because that was sort of my, um, grad, um, assistantship. Um, and I enjoyed it and I liked, you know, working with student organizations and clubs and stuff like that. But I felt like maybe there's a little bit more like untapped potential and I can, I can branch out a little bit. I had experience, um, doing alternative break stuff and traveling, um, when I was in college. Um, so that I think paired with this, all this research that I did about, how some of these programs can be really problematic kind of helped me look at jobs through a more like critical lens and, and like really finding this position at UMass Boston was like a dream come true for me. Um, I don't know that at the time I could have written a better job description for what I wanted. Hmm. And, and like, I think I remember actually talking to you about this when yeah. I and just being like, I'm really nervous. This is like exactly what I want. And, uh, you know, we were like messaging on like Facebook or whatever. Um, and I think you had mentioned that like, you know, there was an internal candidate for the role. And I was like, well, shit, I'm not going to get this job. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it came down to me and the internal candidate, um, which I later found out. And so I still sometimes like pinch myself, like, how did I get this job? Like, I feel super mm -hmm. stoked about it. Um, but I think, you know, when I looked at the program, so I oversee Beacon Voyages for Service, which is our signature, the university's signature alternative break program. And mm -hmm. sounds fancy. Sounds so fancy. Um, and I say that to people and they're still like, what is that? What um, is that? Yeah. Um, you know, I looked at the components of it and sort of thought like, okay, Perhaps there is a little bit of um, like a white savior complex to what this program is doing. Um, but can we like maybe change that from the inside out? Um, and so I think that, you know, there are elements when I look at this program as a whole, I feel really proud of it. I feel proud of the critical thinking and sort of um, the consciousness an awareness that it produces in students. Um, I say this with the understanding of like, yeah, these programs can still be really inherently problematic when you look at like 
what they're doing. And so we always make sure that we are invited into these communities rather than um, like sort of posing ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. so you know, I'll get the like, yes, we would love to have you. Um, then, then there's, there's, there's no partnership for us, right? It needs to be like, we cannot just go and declare that like, we're going to go here to X, Y, and Z city and work with X, Y, and Z organization. Um, and we try to be really, really mindful of that. Um, because that's sort of where some of these problems begin. Um, and our, I think our sort of crowning jewel of this program is our education plan. Um, so it's a 12 week education plan that talks about, um, you know, allyship, identity, privilege, intersectionality, microaggressions, um, uh, you know, sort of active listening skills, facilitation. Um, and there's a deep, we, we go into a deep history of like where these trips are traveling to and why we feel that there's a connection there between like the location and the trip topic. Um, and then we always try to build a connection with, okay, so you, you, you have this information, you're going to this place. How can you bring this back into Boston or the community that you live in? Right. Because I think so often it's like, well, just look in your own backyard mm-hmm. and you can do all of this work in your own backyard. And so we're trying to gear actually towards that a little bit more than we have in the past, because I think, you know, the, the allure of this program is the travel piece for a lot of students, right? We could go somewhere fun and new, which I agree, like traveling in and of itself can be, uh, you know, a, an awakening experience for students. Um, we've had students who the first time they fly is on a, when they're on a BBS trip and that's mm-hmm. And so we don't want to downplay that by any means, but I do think we're trying to reshift, redirect our focus into like, well, here's what you're actually going to learn by being a part of this program. Um, and, and just like trying to bring about more of that civic consciousness with it. Um, and then having them understand like their position in this community that they're being invited to enter is not like, what can I do for you? It's, you know, is there anything that you need um, or what assets do you already have and how can we contribute to that? Um, So really like ideally, I think, I think a lot of us are like in these jobs where we want to eradicate our own jobs because we want, you know, Mm -hmm. right. Like, (laughs) yep. So think but, about that but, all the time, honestly. Right? Like I have these concepts that I'm like, I can't really wrap my head around this right now, but I also understand that like that is sort of the mission of the work that we're doing is mm-hmm. so we don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> but that's you know, that's a that's a big dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean I uh when I did the BBS trip last year. Yeah, last year. Um it was a pretty like awakening thing for me too, because it was like yeah. a weird like time in my life too so I was like just really open to whatever the hell was coming my way and being in DC and getting to see the we were we did the hunger and homelessness trip and it was pretty eye-opening to work in like a soup kitchen and to provide meals and to work in these like um work with these organizations that were doing like 
meal packages for people and just mm-hmm. like to see how that happens and to talk to people and then to see how the students were learning because we would debrief like every day and it was really cool and very um very focused um learning opportunity for the students because we we kind of challenged each other we challenged a lot of the other people in the other colleges too which i think is a which i think is a good sign of umass boston in general like our students are just like big thinkers and like kind of uh abrasive isn't the right word but it's the only word that's coming to mind (laughs) some of them are abrasive yeah and they're very opinionated they have thoughts they have feelings all of them yeah passion it's the word sure um (laughs) but that's the one thing that i do like love about our our students specifically is like they're not going to half-ass these trips right which is great and 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 i think you know if we can get a couple things across to them one being like i really think that these trips help the our student participants just like really humanize people because mm-hmm. even like yeah because i you know a couple of years ago when i first started i advised the hunger and homelessness trip and you know, just what I learned in that one week alone mm-hmm. is I've, ta- I've taken with me now over the past three years in everything that I do. And, and I think it really, if you can just remind yourself, everyone that you're working with, whether it's direct service or indirect service is a human being with a story, with a purpose. Um, and like, and they deserve to be treated like a human being. And um, I do think like at the core, that's really what it sort of teaches our students. And also, I also recognize that we're not gonna, these trips do not solve any problems. Mm. Getting, we might learn about the root causes of a problem for sure, but sort of by the nature of what some of these nonprofits do, it's sort of similar to like, these nonprofits serve to like basically end their own work, right? Like that's their end goal, but it's not going to happen because of X, Y, and Z and all of these other like systemic issues that are not being addressed. Um, So I think if students can also learn that, they can take that information and transfer it into like the work that they will continue to do once they leave here. And so hopefully, hopefully they get something like that (laughs) out of this program it, and, you know, that's always my goal. Um, so I really do value the education piece of this program. Um, I think that it really um, sort of highlights how amazing our students already are um, and then taps into a lot of potential for what they can be and can do in the future. I completely agree with that and think that it's there's this, like, piece that's always, like, we're trying to basically put ourselves out of jobs. So are all these organizations too. And I think that that's the, like the selflessness nature of like some, some of the the, some of the folks that are in education that have that perspective, other folks, like, I don't want to put faculty up on this platform, but they're, (laughs) they're not necessarily in it for that reason. But I feel like a lot of folks in student affairs and a lot of these, like, um, uh, organizational uh, situations are definitely in that in that in that space where we're just like we're trying to like put people 
into situations where they're going to learn and make the world a better place, hopefully. And then by that, by that time, we, we don't have to do much. (laughs) Yep, exactly. And I think of like strong women, strong girls. Um, and our UMass Boston students will mentor third to fifth grade girls to like empower them, um, and teach them about like self-confidence and self-love and self worth and say like you're you're valuable and a lot of them are um are young women of you know girls of color and students of color and like i would love it if i love this program i would love it if it didn't have to exist but it does and Mm -hmm. that's reality um and that's you know we have to come to terms with that um and i'm grateful for what this program does i think it's incredible um but then, yeah, you think about like the mission and you're like, well, why the hell do we need programs like this? Like it, like it makes mm-hmm. me, I don't know. So we like have to have programs like this, you know what I mean? Like as much as I love them and what they do, I'm like, what the hell man, you know what I mean? So like, that's another thing. It's like, we have to get at the root causes, root issues. But perhaps a task that is too tall for us to do right now. I don't know. We're going to take a quick break from the podcast. This conversation with Julia is wonderful, uh, but I first want to take a little bit of a break to just share a little bit about um, suicide prevention and awareness month that's happening right now. It's also recovery awareness month and folks who've listened to the podcast long enough know that I'm a person in recovery. I recently celebrated eight years of sobriety in uh, July, in July um, which is wonderful and something that I feel really thankful for. Uh, but I've also talked a lot about my mental health on this podcast as well. And living with anxiety and depression and suicidality is something that I've had to confront a lot over the years. And it's something that that I certainly still struggle with a lot. And I feel like there's um, kind of a never ending uh, struggle to some degree um, when it comes to um, dealing with a lot of the thoughts that happen in my brain. And I know that the pandemic hasn't been easy on a lot of people. So it's been kind of a big old struggle um, for, for a lot of folks. And I know that I've been trying to check in on friends and I'm trying to make sure that uh, I'm doing the best that I can to um, make sure that I'm being the best friend possible. Uh, But I also know that it's hard to do that when you're trying to manage your own stuff. So what I want to just share is that there are so many ways that you can help a friend who's going through something. One of the simplest ways to do that is to, to listen when someone is coming to you and sharing what they're going through, but also talk about your mental health. The most important thing we can do to destigmatize suicide is to talk about our own problems and make others feel comfortable doing the same. Um, believe your friends if they're saying that they're depressed, anxious, or having suicidal thoughts. Center their stories, validate their experience, and don't minimize their courage to share. Also, pay attention to the warning signs that are out there. There are so many different warning signs that exist, like uh, talking about having no reason to live, feeling like a burden, feeling trapped, or living in unbearable pain, actively talking about wanting to kill themselves, sleeping too much or too little, being anxious, agitated, extreme mood swings. There are so many signs out there uh, for ways that we can look out for our friends and 
figure out how to help them. There are also so many resources that you can check out. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK, which is 8255. So 1-800-273-8255. You can also reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HELLO to 741741. You can also reach out to the Trevor Project, which supports uh, queer and trans youth, which is uh, 1-866-488-7386. You can also reach out to NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, by calling 888-950-6264. Um, and then two organizations, including the Art of Survival, uh, which I always have to plug, uh, is that can help uh, help you out are the Hope for the Day, which is just hftd.org. Hope for the Day does a lot of great mental health uh, uh, information and education in the music scene, as well as to write Love on Her Arms, which is one of the oldest organizations doing this work, one that I grew up idolizing and really supporting. Uh, so you can go to TWLOHA.com, uh, just the acronym to write Love on Her Arms, and Hope for the Day, their acronyms.org.com. So check those out. Those are some resources. I'll also share those in the, in the show notes. So make sure that if you feel like you need to help someone or help yourself, there are lots of ways that we can do so. Um, you are not alone in any of the struggles you're going through, and you're loved. You belong here. And now let's get back to this conversation with Julia Bosliff. Well, that makes sense. It's a yeah. it's a big it's a big picture thing that we're like. I think that our our grad program was the sole reason why I think of things too largely. Where I'm just like, like, I don't know if Kate Hudson had you guys do this the first class that you're in. She just listed for an hour, like all the things that are wrong with higher education. And then at the end, she's like, so how are you guys going to fix it? And I think I leaned back and I was like, Kate, what the hell? (laughs) Yep. I mean, well, yeah, like truly I went into this grad program just like, this is going to be great. And I'm going to learn how to be a, a student affairs practitioner and yay. And we're going to hug and whatever. And then I left being like, you know, fuck the patriarchy and fuck capitalism and fuck every, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You're like, Our I education is oppression. <laughs> it's literally yes, oppressive. And uh, now I'm choosing to like actively choosing to enter into this oppressive field that was like created for wealthy white men. And like, mm-hmm. okay. You know, like we really, I think, I really had to like try to come to terms with that. I don't know that I have yet. Mm. Um, I can acknowledge it, but like, yeah, it just, it's like, we're complicit in this shitty system. And I would never have thought about that had I not gone to this grad program, honestly. Like, I don't think that I used the term neoliberal so much until that program. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I'll be honest, I had never heard of the term until I got right. there. Right, thanks, like, Gary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I, because I, I, I've had these conversations with people from other grad programs for for ever since we we left it, and there are so many folks that never learn about like oppression or even social justice things because they're so focused on student development theory and all these other things. And they get really caught in the weeds about how you make those connections. But like, you can't make those connections unless you understand all these other things. And so, but because we had a theory class, it was yep. 
it was great. Zeke was a great professor for it, but like we didn't necessarily like make that the same. It was also an elective. It wasn't a required class. Like you didn't have to take it, which I thought was like one of my, the main reasons that I wanted to go to the program because I wanted to focus on a lot of those other things because like having done my undergrad in education, like I, I knew a lot of those development things and how to connect with students and whatnot. So I was like, I wanted this whole other part. <laughs> Please just rewire my brain a little bit. And it was a pretty, I don't know, transformative few years. Like that's why like my friends back home, when I first would start going home after graduate school, they're like, you're a different person, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Learned a thing or two. And here I am. Yep. So it's yep. a much different world. Yeah. Um, let's transition. Uh, cool. So you run. Sometimes. Sometimes yep. run. This is short and long. Yep. <laughs> so you are going to be running the virtual Boston Marathon this Sunday, right? Saturday, Sunday? When are this you doing Saturday. it? Saturday. You're yeah. doing it Saturday. Two days. How do you feel? Um, I feel ready for it to be over. Oh man. So, I mean, what a weird year. Um, yeah. I got accepted to the team. So I'm running for Camp Shriver at UMass. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been on campus for since 2006. I think I should know that it's, mm-hmm. I, have, I think 2006. And there are a free inclusive, um, day camp for children, um, half their campers live with like an intellectual or physical disability and half, um, live without, um, you know, any sort of intellectual or physical disability. So it's 50, 50. Um, and so they have, yeah, all their programming is inclusive. Um, and it's like, it's active and they're on campus all summer usually. Right. Um, and so it's been really great to sort of be able to learn more about that organization and partner with them and raise money for them. Um, cause a lot of the work that they do and the mission of their organization aligns really closely with like a lot of the work that my office does. So it felt like a pretty natural connection. Um, I also learned that I am the first UMass Boston employee who's ever like applied to even run on the Boston Marathon on that team, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, so anyways, yeah, I got accepted to the team in early September of last year. Jeez. Yeah, which was less than two months after my surgery. But I was like, obviously, super gung-ho. Hadn't even started, you know, hadn't gotten the okay to even run yet. Yep. Like, Gotta do it, you know. I remember you were pretty oh dead God. set on it. I was. I really was. I, when I got the email that I got accepted to the team, I like cried. I called my mom. I was like, this is the best year ever. Um, and then it was like, yeah, October hit. We started fundraising and it was like full throttle. So, um, so it feels like weird that it's finally happening. Um, so basically this year because the marathon was postponed from April 20th to September 14th and then canceled and moved to a virtual format. We have the option of running anytime between September 5th and September 14th. Um, so, you know, initially I was looking, looking at the dates and I was like, well, that's right around when school starts. I would love to give myself a day to recover um, and like do nothing 
after running it. So I don't want to do it on a weekday because we've got classes starting and there's stuff to do and whatever. So that left, you know, the 12th or the 13th. Um, and I, since I did want to give myself a day, I figured I would do it on the 12th. And then I, you know, so September 12th also holds sort of a special meeting for me. It's the, um, anniversary of my dad passing away. And so I thought, okay, what a great way to honor him. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he was really this person who gave me this like zest and passion and love for life. And he was this like outgoing, super fun dude. And like was super active too. Like I, he taught me how to ski and we would go hiking together. So I was like, okay, this just feels honestly like kind of serendipitous that like now we get an option of when we want to do this. And then sort of, you know, this day sort of is multi-purpose. Um, so yeah, I'm doing it Saturday. I have a, I have a picture of my dad that I'm going to carry with me, which I think will be really great. Because um, he'll be, I know he'd be, you know, cheering me on if he was here and he'd probably run alongside with me because that was the type of man that he was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He actually, when he was, so I was maybe like a year or two old. Um, he tore his ACL skiing. Um, so like father, like daughter. Um, Dang. Yeah. That, so you tore your ACL while skiing then, right? I tore it. Um, yep. May of 2019, I was skiing down Tuckerman Ravine. Um, it was like one of those days where the sky and the ground were the same color, like one of those gray days. Mm-hmm. And the conditions were like, they were okay. They probably weren't the best. Um, and I was coming down. I just like, I caught an edge. And as I was turning and um, just took a big, mighty tumble, I basically, it was like a, you know, tumble dry situation. Um, somebody, I got down to the bottom eventually and somebody was like, I overheard someone talking and they said, did you guys see that girl tomahawk down the mountain? And I was like 10 feet away from him. I was like, oh yeah, that was crazy. Like, oh, did you, <laughs> you know, in my head, I'm like, that was me. And now I can't walk. So, <laughs> um, so that's fun. Um, and then I think though, like that injury just made me like want to come back with a vengeance and do something that seems or seemed to me even just a few years ago, like basically impossible, like physically impossible um, in my, in my eyes. Like it's I've, running a marathon is so effing hard and I haven't even done it yet. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, I'm, very happy for it to be over. I keep thinking about the meal I'm going to eat when it's done. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Um, so how is the PT and everything getting back into it? Because I knew that it was going to be a quick turnaround, but now you've had a little bit of a, a time to heal a little bit more, which I, yeah. I'm i kind of glad for on my I'm end glad for to it watch too. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that I honestly underestimated the amount of time that it would take to recover from this. Um, because, you know, everyone says ACL surgery, ACL injuries, they're so common, right? They've come so far with surgeries. I did um, uh, arthroscopic surgery. So I have just like a couple little holes in my knee, right? Where they went in rather than like, you know, back in the day where it was like a full all the way down the knee, you ripped it open. It was like gross, right? 
um, I think Gail actually showed me, she had the surgery and she like showed me her knee scar like last summer and it's uh. gnarly. It's huge. So anyways, so recovery went really well, but I started the issue that I have been having is that I started training way too early hmm. than I have. So that just led me to have like a, a few other issues, um, with like, um, basically like, like muscle issues. Um, bursitis was, you know, was, I was challenging for me for a long time. And so in, so I technically finished my physical therapy in December and then kept training for the marathon and was getting up to, I think I got up to like 12 or 14 miles and then February rolled around and I went for a long run and like basically I couldn't walk after. And I was like, okay, something's like, this is not working. So I went back to physical therapy and I had to sort of pull back quite a bit on the running. Cause I was running, um, five days a week and it was just too much on my body because my knee hadn't fully healed yet. Um, so I went back to physical therapy. I cut down on the running. Um, I did more, um, more and, and sort of varied types of cross training, um, to try to get back into it. But yeah, I had to take a break for a while. And over the summer, the heat combined with just like trying to make sure my body doesn't totally break down. Like I haven't run as much as what is called for when you train for a marathon, but I'm just trying to be mindful that like, I'm not going to be able to run if I try to maintain this five day a week running with cross training schedule. Um, so I've been sort of like, yeah, doing on and off a little bit of PT here and there. Um, I don't know if this is like kosher to say, but I'm dating my physical therapist. So that helps a lot. <laughs> um, it's actually been a huge help because I imagine PT is really, it adds up. Yeah. It, and I can see how like it can be a deterrent for people like who can't afford to go. And then you're stuck with this physical ailment and you're like, well, what, I don't know what to do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really beneficial for me. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to be more mindful of like how my body feels um, instead of like what I feel like I have to do to accomplish this goal. And my knee is definitely a lot better now. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to run for a long time after this is over. I imagine. Well, I mean, <laughs> the marathon being postponed is likely somewhat of a blessing for you then. Um, I think so. And I've always been, so I'm, I've ran two organized marathons mm-hmm. and I've ran like three other organized races and races just bring out the worst in me because like I get, I get pretty competitive. And then when I'm not <laughs> performing the way I want to perform, especially in the couple marathons, like I get, I get down on myself. So when I run on my own, I feel like a much more powerful person. I don't know. That's just me. So like, are you actually going out? Are do you having people join you along the way? Or are you just doing it on your own? I have a few people joining me for like little different sections of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like a few miles here and there, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which is nice. People want to be supportive and helpful and bring me water. And so I've sort of incorporated, I got to make my own course, which is Mm -hmm. 
So I made sure that I incorporated like five or six bathrooms. There you go. <laughs> I need one. Um, and, you know, water stops and Gatorade and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. Like you almost lose the joy of running when you have to do it. Yeah. That is fun anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and I really have felt that the past couple of months. Like, I just want to go out and go as far as I, my body feels good and and then come home. Yeah, and I mean, there's a whole atmosphere around racing that is great and is really encouraging and really wonderful. And it's also, um, like, hard. It's really hard when you're around a lot of people running. And I know that... Um, in Boston particularly, like it's one of those things that like um, there's so much history there. So missing out on that is like, that'd be such a bummer. But knowing that you got chosen for this team once, who knows, you probably do it every single year now. You'll, you'll want to run the marathon <laughs> every year now, Julia. If I didn't have to raise all that money again. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the bummer, right? Like, the Boston Marathon is like every runner's dream. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, if I'm going to, you know, I want to do it once. I just want to say that I've done it once. And so I can't even really say that still. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell? You know? And I, I'm never going to qualify. I'm not that fast. I don't want to raise money again. That was a pain in the ass. Like, it was great. goes to a good cause. But it takes so much time and effort, mm-hmm. much money. And like, I don't know. I would, I would hard pass on that again. So. <laughs> no, I get that. It's yeah. not, and it's hard because, like, I've you know, I've I've done a few fundraising things in my day. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like a part time job to some degree for the for that amount of time because you're kind yeah. of hustling the whole time and you have to flood your friends Facebook and Instagram and everything with, hey, this is this thing I'm doing. Support me. This is this thing I'm doing. And like, I've done that for a couple albums. And it's like this most recent one that I was doing, trying to fundraise for. And then I just felt really weird because around uh, Breonna Taylor's uh, Mm. uh, murder happened. And I was like, I feel weird asking for money right now. I'm just gonna not. And it's really weird because you put a lot of time and effort into something. And then just um, you, you have to make decisions. And, um, I know that it's really hard to raise that money because the whole time you're like, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? Um, how creative did you have to get for fundraising? What was the most, what was the funny, the funnest thing you had to do for fundraising? I, the funnest thing so I thought about doing things like I will dump something over my head if I fundraise, you know, $500 in an hour or so, but I never did anything like that. I, I held um, like a raffle kind of, event, um, and it was right around my birthday last year. Um, and I raised like two grand from that, just nice. grand, which was great. Um, and that was really fun just because it was sort of like, a big celebration and all the items, most of the items that I had in it were donated. Um, and it's so, I think that part, it was really fun to see how people will really come together when you're like, this isn't for me. This is for this greater cause. Like, would you be willing to provide an item for $0, you know, or like, and I, you know, nine times out of 10 people say yes. Um, 
and it's great. Like they're, in, and they're so enthusiastic about it. Once you just tell them what they're doing. And I think the hardest part is asking. It can be really uncomfortable. Um, but you know, and I had another idea, um, of like, you know, putting it out there where you pay five bucks and you get to pick like one song that goes on my Boston marathon running playlist. You pay 20 oh. bucks to pick like, you know, five or six songs, right? Like, Oh, I would have, I would have had a <laughs> fun time with, I would have given you a hundred bucks. I'm making the whole playlist. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And you could have, I would have put anything that you wanted on this playlist. Um, I could have been running to like Beethoven or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Oh no, this would have been much louder. (laughs) (laughs) It could have got me going. You you never know. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Like the, one of the hardest things in fundraising is the ask. And I learned, I learned that a a pretty good lesson in that with the um, president of Oregon state university, go beefs a few years ago. (laughs) I always had to do that. Um, When when I was actually doing one of my fundraising efforts and I reached out to him cause he's, he's always like, Craig, always feel free to like reach out to me, blah, blah, blah. And it's weird that I had developed even a relationship with him because I was student body president, whatever. Um, he was just always one of those like giving people, but he was also a master fundraiser. And so I asked him, I'm like, I'm doing this fundraising thing. Like, what do I do? And he's just like, tell people like the bare minimum of what you need. Like, give them that and then give them a range and then be comfortable like giving them a hard ask. And I was like, so he's like at the end of the email, he goes, so how much do you need from me? And I was like, I wasn't going to ask you for anything, Yeah. (laughs) but how about this number? And he was like, all right, I'll put the check in the mail. And I was like, are you serious? (laughs) Yeah. So he's just like, like the ask is the hardest part, but it's yeah. if you if you can come up with the right way of asking and the most like just being a genuine being genuine about it, people will likely respond. Like I I've seen some there've I mean our whole entire generation is basically GoFundMe people because of our healthcare system, but like I've I've helped fund a couple of trans friends. Um, surgeries and stuff like that like you just see like these genuine things and like yeah I'm gonna help you out like yeah. of course like it- yeah, totally and now I mean so uh, you know I would see uh, you know sort of GoFundMe fundraising initiatives and efforts prior but I feel like now that I've really been in it and have really had to fundraise like I fundraised almost ten thousand dollars and so mm-hmm. now- I know what it takes to even fundraise like 500 bucks and how hard that could be. If I have the money and you have a GoFundMe or you fundraising, like send me the link. I will give you my money. Even if I can only give you five bucks, I will do it because I know how freaking hard that is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and like, and it's almost like no matter what it's for, I don't care because Mm -hmm. obviously it's meaningful to that person and they're in need of something. Mm -hmm. Um, and whether I can relate to it or not, it does. I don't think it matters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people will really come out of the woodwork if you just ask and share with your network. Like mm-hmm. money from people I didn't even know. They were like my mom's friends in high school. And they were like, we love your mom. So you must be great too. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> like, well, I mean, it, it also reminds me of like right after 
my right after grad school when I was in my job search and I was like painting for people, like people came out of nowhere just being like, Hey, my colleague has one of your paintings. Can I get one too? And I'm like, yeah, of course I've never met you and we're never going to meet probably, but sure. Let me paint something for you. Like people will like come through as long as you're just coming from a genuine place. And I feel like that's the power of this like grassroots movements of like, again, going back to that, like recognizing that there's this like human need and human connection and just like acting on it and just, and, and, and I think it's, I think it's hard now because like the internet creates such a barrier. Like we almost forget that there are people on the other side of the screen. Um, and that, you know, has been true for a long time, obviously like pre pandemic. And so we can easily disconnect ourselves from these people's very like human stories. Um, and so I think like this ex- whole experience has made me realize don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everybody has a story to tell. Everybody's trying to just do their part. Um, and if you can help and contribute to that in some way, then like you should. Mm-hmm. I think. I agree. You know, that's the touchy feely side of student affairs in me. You know, that's like the like, hug. It's coming out. It's, it comes out every once in a while. And then I'm like, oh. And you look disgusted. <laughs> All right, it's time for the music break portion of the podcast, bringing you a tune from the new Stand Atlantic album, Pink Elephant. It came out earlier this summer through Hopeless Records. Uh, sadly, all of the v- physical variants and copies of the record are currently sold out. But if you keep your eye on hopelessrecords.com or on their Instagram or on Stand Atlantic's Instagram, I'm sure that something will pop up soon because there's definitely some demand. And actually, I'm looking at Amazon right now. You might be able to snag one there. As much as I don't like to hype up Amazon, I like to support the labels. But if you're in a pinch and you really want to get yourself a copy of this record, go there, maybe snag it, snag it up. There's a couple left. It looks like it's the hot pink variant if you want that one in your vinyl collection. I have the uh, watermelon press. It's the pink, green, and white pressing. It's pretty cool. You'll see it on my Instagram when I share it. Um, but right now, I uh, really love this album. I think it's one of the most special pop punk records that's come out this year specifically. Um, the band is from Australia. They do a lot of really great uh have been doing a lot of really great work uh, to spread their sound in the States specifically. And I know that their album Skinny Dipping was really influential on a lot of folks. And it's honestly one of my favorite discoveries of the year is this band. And I really hope that you dig it. It's a lot of fun, upbeat stuff that has some good meaning behind it. And um, I really uh, just enjoy it. And I hope that you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, go stream it everywhere. Stream it on their Bandcamp, stream it on Uh, Apple Music, stream it on Spotify, wherever you get your music, stream it, listen to it. The whole album is great. Uh, I'm going to play you the song Wavelength uh, right now. So here is the song Wavelength from the new Stand Atlantic album, Pink Elephant. I know I always said I'm not a song, so I'm gonna push you to the floor. You keep selfishly just bleeding to my nervous system, raise soon. Sweet and ugly statements I 
That was Wavelength by Stand Atlantic. If you like the album, go stream it everywhere. Learn more about the band on hopelessrecords.com. Follow them on Instagram. Follow the label on Instagram. Do what you can. There might be some more vinyl pressings in the future. Might be some more CDs in the future. Like I said, there might be some still available on Amazon. As much as I hate doing that, I know that some people in a pinch still want to get it. Still want to get their hands on a physical copy. Uh, That's... That's totally your prerogative. Um, but yeah, I uh, really love the album. Really wonderful uh, femme-led music that is really badass and kicks a, lot of, kicks a lot of ass. And so, yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Now let's finish off this conversation with Julia Vosliff. All right, let's, let's uh, wrap this up with, uh, with a quick thing I like to just do. It's a little lightning round. Q&A sort of thing where folks can just get to know a little bit more about you as we wrap up the conversation. Um, so I'm just going to ask you a couple things. Okay. Good? Cool. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for having me. could have done it in human cool. form. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I miss people. I was on campus last week for a few days and it's just not the same. I know. But, it's sad. But our campus is a huge crater in it in the right now, so it's crazy, don't right? go there right now. <laughs> I was there today, actually, yeah, trying to get that freaking chair. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite color? Green, but not like Kelly green, probably more of like a forest mountain green. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 
What's your favorite food? Specific or like type? Oh, if I had to pick, I think I would go with um, Annie's white cheddar mac and cheese. Oh, okay. So good. Nice. I've been making some mean mac and cheese over pandemic. Yep. It's food. Need it. It's great. It's great. And making like buffalo mac and cheese. Oh, hell yeah. Started making poutine again. Yes. Got the good Wisconsin cheese curds. Oh my God. It's so good. Inspired me. Um, What is your post-marathon meal going to be? Probably pizza and French fries. I'm thinking four pizza and maybe some sweet potato fries, regular fries, waffle fries, maybe poutine. We'll see. Do it. (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite place you've ever traveled? Um... Because you've been around, right? I've been around. Okay, I think that my favorite, one of my favorite places, because it's so underrated, in my opinion, is Poland. I loved going to Poland. I went right after college for a conference, and I think it's, I don't want to tell people to go there, because I don't want it to become, like, overpopulated with tourists, but it's freaking awesome and just stunning, stunning, beautiful. Hmm. And the food's great, too. Like, who doesn't love pierogies? Oh, interesting. One, I've never had a pierogi. Um, oh, they're so good. <laughs> two, I've never thought of going to Poland. So this yeah. is great. <laughs> you should go. Then eat pierogies and tell me what you think. Great. Uh, what about a uh, favorite book of yours? Um, um, you know, for some reason, my mind always goes back to... I read um, East of Eden when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, honestly, I feel like I don't even know that I could like explain the plot to you right now, but I just, for some reason, like really loved that book. So Mm -hmm. I've tried to go back and like reread some books that I read when I was in high school to see if I can sort of appreciate it through a different lens um, as an adult. Um, like I did that with The Giver not that long ago. Um, and it's obviously like a really easy read, but I think like I have a new appreciation for it. So yeah, probably East of Eden. Okay. Yeah. Cool. What about a favorite show? What are you binging and or all time? Okay. So I oh, guess a couple. <laughs> also confession time. I just, and by just started, I mean two days ago for the first time, my roommate convinced me to watch an episode of Love Island. Okay. Okay, so normally I'm like not really into these like reality TV shows. I, this show is so stupid and so, everyone's so vain, but the way that it's produced is, it's genius. It's genius television, honestly. Um, <laughs> it just sucks you in and like I totally get why people like it. So, Really, for me, it's like I, I after work, I need a brainless, mindless activity. So that's what I'm going to turn on. Um, but the beginning of quarantine, I watched um, a lot of Better Call Saul. That was really good. Uh, Dude, same. Bad. Yeah. Just like these classic, really mm-hmm. all done TV shows that are highly entertaining and the acting is great. Surprised you didn't say Game of Thrones. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I lo- so I love it, but I feel mm-hmm. like that's what everybody says, and I was so disappointed by the ending that it's almost mm-hmm. 
like got knocked down a few notches on my list. Bummer. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Oh. What about TV for or TV? What about movies for you? Uh, I'm really, really, really picky when it comes to movies. Um, I there are many, many that I have not seen because I'm like I'm not gonna like that. So, but my genre is like Gangs of New York is one of my favorite movies. Um, I love Daniel Day Lewis. Big yeah. fan, and I just think like history. So I'm just like, oh, I love this, blah blah blah. Um, that's that's up there. Um, I don't know. I'm that's so fair. particular about movies that I like. Almost can't even tell you what I like. Games <laughs> of New York is a good one. It's so good. Yeah, I've only seen it once, but I remember liking it a lot because Daniel Day Lewis can bring it. Oh my God, that man is. Un- unreal. Mm-hmm. There will be blood. It's one of my favorites so of his. Yep. Yeah. Did you see Phantom Thread with him? I have not, but it just got put on something streaming. I can't you remember. You have access to it. It's got a really cool twist at the end that you don't. Oh. oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tend to always finish on music, so I'm curious what your some of your favorite music has been, and maybe some of the uh, current stuff you might be listening to. Mm. I know we went to a Lizzo concert together. Oh my God. So and Carly. I forgot you were there. That was right before your surgery. <laughs> that was the night before my surgery. I wake up like four hours later. Um, and you had, you were on the floor too. <laughs> I was. Oh, that concert was, I still think about it. It was so good. I had so many friends at that gig. It was such a good yeah. gig. It was so good. Um, was my number one gig last year. Yeah, I can see why. It was so fun. It was, she's such a good performer. Yeah. Unreal. I was so entertained. Yeah. Um, so them, uh, so, but I'm also like diehard, lifelong fan. I think maybe we've talked about this before, um, of Pearl Jam. <laughs> yep. And I know, like, I get it, like, but I'm not really into grunge music. I'm just really into Pearl Jam. Um, <laughs> but then, like, Fleet Foxes. Um, they've been like a calming presence for me during quarantine. Um, Cautious Clay, I've been really into. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Steely Dan. Okay. Which, like, should I admit that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know. So, like, some contemporary stuff and then some, you know, oldies but goodies. I was really stoked that one year you went to Pearl Jam. I think it was at Fenway. And yeah. you called me or sent me a video during Jeremy, which made yes. me really happy because I always butt rock Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where, like, I don't think Katie had ever even heard the song. I had just done that Jeremy all of the time. <laughs> then I finally shared it with Katie, and they were like, that's, that's what it is. I'm like, yeah, and you don't want to know what the song's about. <laughs> No, you don't. It's dark. It's dark. It's a dark song. It's a dark song. Well, and that's the thing. Like, people love to hate on Pearl Jam, but if you listen to their lyrics, they they sing about some real deep stuff. Mm-hmm. Eddie Vedder issues, man. Eddie Vedder's a good dude. So oh, he's great. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me again. Thank you for having me. Good luck on Saturday. Thanks. I will let you know how it goes and if I still have legs after.
Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> going to be doing the first six miles of the marathon with my friend on Sunday because nice. he's running for the Phoenix. And oh, so cool! They have he has people running with him almost at every single way of the of his route, and I'm going to be basically stopping in Cambridge and then figuring out how to get home. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, what it, did he? So he obviously made his own route. What? Where's he? Where's he running? He's starting at the Phoenix and then going down the Charles, down to Newton, and then from Newton he's taking the rest of the marathon route in. That's yeah. Awesome. So he'll finish at the finish line. Yeah. That's what I'm doing too. I feel nice. like it's Sunday. There's going to be a ton of people on Boylston Street doing what we are doing. Yeah, probably. It'll be cool, though. So. Yeah, it'll be pretty sweet. Oh, sweet. You're going to have a blast. That's cool. Yeah, so I'm going to do, like, one run tomorrow and then rest on Saturday and then run with him, like, the first six miles. So, nice. which, like, I can do, like, I'm going to be okay. It's him yeah. that I'm concerned about. Like, Oh, no. Because <laughs> I think the longest he's done up to this point is a 20-miler. So... Mm. I don't know what your longest to this point has been, but not that long. Okay. Well, because injuries, <laughs> you'll get it. You'll crush it. The longest I, I had done before I ran it was 19. And then I just okay. powered through the last seven. Months. You know, and that's what I hear people do. Like the momentum, yeah. the adrenaline just pushes you along. Well, and it's also like, I find once you find a pace and you can click into it, your body will just carry you the rest of the way. Totally. Mind over matter is what they say. So if I feel like if I'm mentally prepared for it, hopefully physically my body follows suit. We'll see. All right. Well, best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. That was my conversation with Julia. That's it. That's all. That's all there is. It's, it's done. Hooray. Another conversation in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, really want to wish Julia best of luck tomorrow as she runs the marathon. Uh, Cannot believe that it's already uh, upon us that people are doing this. Really wish that it was still in person because living in Boston, it's a really wonderful vibe. Um, it is kind of weird to have so many people out of out of town come into town because it's like a huge tourist weekend. But so kind of not missing that. But the atmosphere around the marathon is really wonderful and really cool. And hopefully next year it'll happen uh, in official terms again. Uh, but just want to wish Julia best of luck. Really glad that she sat down and chatted with me uh, to have this conversation. Um, also, remember to go to connectedu.network to learn more about the educational opportunities and content that we throw out there uh, for the world to consume. Also, if you want to go to hopelessrecords.com or stream the new Stand Atlantic record, it's out there. Definitely listen to it. If you enjoyed the tunes that you heard so far in the podcast, I'm going to finish off this episode with the rest of the song, Shh, which you heard at the very beginning of the episode. Yes, it's just a, a shush sound. That's the name of the song. Very, very wonderful, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, but yeah, that's it. That's all we've got. Again, it is suicide prevention and awareness month as well as recovery awareness month so if you're going through something don't don't worry don't feel just feel free to reach out 
Um, you've got so many people out there that can help you, uh, so many resources that are available, and I'm definitely someone who's willing to lend an ear and listen if you're going through something. So please feel free to reach out. Please feel free to uh, know that you have uh, so much power within you to do uh, really all that you can accomplish. There's so much out there to live and experience. And I know that living with a lot of mental illness doesn't feel great, but there is what, there are ways that we can triumph over it. So feel free to reach out. I got your back. I'm here for you, uh, especially when I know I'm going through it too. So I've got people around me that are helping me out too. So um, until the next uh, episode, I hope you're all doing well. I hope you all take care of yourselves amid this pandemic. And um, yeah, that's really all I got. Let's get to work. Yeah, yeah.